This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you could stand, we're going to read God's word together. And uh, I want you to um, I want you to stand with me. And the reason why we stand is we are... Um, wanting to distinguish this time as this is God's word. And so um, Mark chapter 9, we're going to read verse 42 through 50. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's a real battle that's happening all around us. There's a real battle that's happening all around us. We can see it. We can look at it. We can throw out our diagnostic of it. We can say why it's happening and what would fix it. We can give answers to all of its problems. If people would just do this, if this would just happen, we can tell people what evil is. We can explain over and over again what the problem is. We can tell people this is sin, that's sin, don't do this, do this. We could give as many answers to all of the world's problems as we want. And it's amazing to me how many of us have quick answers, especially, especially in a social media age. I saw this tweet from a pastor friend of mine, and he said, it's amazing how many people in 130 characters feel like they can answer the world's problems. And that everybody on social media is an expert. And the reality is, the more you look, the more you dive into it, the more the things take place, there's all these sound bites of what should happen and what should take place. And it's amazing to me how many of us feel we're actually making a difference. But, but, our lives are fighting a completely other battle. 
most of us are fighting the battle to pay bills. The biggest battle in our life is to pay bills. How can I work? How can I work hard? How can I make sure that all my bills are paid? And how can I be comfortable? How can I get the American dream? House with some kids maybe, unless they get in the way, then no kids. How can I live the American dream? A couple cars. How can I be comfortable? Why do I have to be the one constantly struggling with these bills being paid? And I look around and all I really want is just to be comfortable. Until maybe you get comfort in some way. And then you want something more. You want power. So many of us spend our lives trying to figure out how we can become great. And it's not just famous, it's great, you know. This is another thing that they've done these, like psychologists have done all these studies on in the social media age, how many people want to be famous. They want to go viral. They want to make sure how many things that that are seen. You judge your value and worth in your whole life based upon how many likes you get. Everything has a purpose. If I'm going to put something out there, I want to make sure people read it, blogs, Facebook, all this kind of stuff. We, we, we want to be in a position of who's greater, who's better. And although we, we don't really reach a level of greatness, if we really think about it, there's so many errors in our lives. So what we resort to is not just being perfect or great because no one's perfect. We just want to be better than the other people, better than them. Something makes us feel way comfortable when we can look at the stupidity of others and go, at least I'm not that way. At least I don't think that way. At least I'm not blind, but they are. So there's, there's that. And then let, let's get worse. I mean, let's, let's even go farther than that. I mean, once, once you start getting a little bit down and you start doing something then we get into this big war about who's more right. These concepts within churches that you look around at people who say they follow Christ and even people who, who preach the gospel and talk about the truths of the gospel, but they don't say it the exact same way and they don't do it the way. They don't follow our system. We've got a structure and a system and they don't follow our system. And so our church and our community and our way of thinking is better than theirs. The church has a horrible History, an unfortunately horrible history of fighting the wrong battles against the wrong enemy. This is an unfortunate history that all of us in this room would say amen. And the reason we would say amen is because we love to make comments about how bad the church is and exclude ourselves from the church. 
the church. And when we speak of the church, we're not including ourselves. We're just saying the church has big problems. But when I make a statement about the church's problems, I am including myself in that. Because I will say this, there's not anything more that I that I want to communicate than this. I want you to know I want to be and I gladly and joyfully accept my role and my place in the family of God. The church is the people of God, the people that God has called and redeemed and brought in and with all their faults and sins and brokenness and with all of the things that you could, if you exclude yourself from the church, you might be excluding yourself from the people of God. So I'm not bashing the church when I say that we have fought the wrong battles. I say we, I include myself. And when real battles come up is when it really starts to expose how disconnected we are. It's like all of a sudden... The reality of how disconnected from the real battle we are starts to come to light. And we don't know what to do. This is the place that Jesus speaks this serious word to his disciples. Over the last few weeks, this is what we've been talking about. Jesus is opening the eyes of his disciples. He's healing from this blindness. And when he's revealing about the kingdom of God coming in through this king, the Messiah, that the kingdom of God is coming into this world, he's revealing who he is and he's revealing what he's come to do. What what do you mean what he's come to do? Well, he keeps telling his disciples over and over again that I have come to suffer and I have come to die and I have come to take the death that you should have died. I have come to pay the price that you should pay. I have come to be beaten and bruised and and die on this cross and be rose from the grave. And every time he tells them this, and it's over and over and over again, his disciples cannot wrap their heads around a king who would come to suffer. Why? Because the Messiah was supposed to come in and have victory. The Messiah was supposed to come in and bring comfort. The Messiah was supposed to come in and bring prosperity and exclusiveness. These are my people and those are the bad people. The Messiah was supposed to come in and bring gain and prestige. And here comes Jesus and he starts talking about his kingdom. And the center of it is death, suffering, poverty, weakness, loss, and the disciples are going, this is different. They can't wrap their heads around a Messiah who would talk about him coming, suffering, dying. And not only him coming, suffering, and dying, but that means we get to join in with a king who has come to suffer and die. And he calls us into a life of suffering, death, self-denial, sacrifice. If our king's that way, we live that way. That that hurts when our whole life we're fighting for comfort and a paycheck. That hurts when our whole life is fighting for our gain, for our glory, for exclusiveness and power and prestige. 
And Jesus is saying, you'll never find life until you die. You'll never experience joy, real joy. But in your suffering, it's, 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 it's so mind-boggling that we could look at the disciples and go, why don't they get it? Or we could go, why don't I get it? When I say we're fighting the wrong battles, here's what I don't want you to hear, that there's no battle. <laughs> there is a battle. Scripture makes extremely clear that there is a battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says there's a war going on. But the war is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age. There's a real battle that's taking place. But he wants in the midst of that for you to know the battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against a much deeper reality. 2 Corinthians 10 says that we have weapons that we have that's been given to us and these weapons of warfare are for the destroying of strongholds against divine powers. These weapons are not weapons of warfare that we think of in this world. They're different kinds of weapons. Colossians 2 shows us that Jesus has come to disarm the rulers of this world. So I'm not saying there's not a battle because there is a battle. What I'm saying is, um, like the disciples, we're fighting the wrong battle. So if, if we could all agree that the church is fighting the wrong battle, for the most part, I'm not saying everybody, but for the most part, that the church is, is often fighting the wrong battle, comfort and greatness, like the disciples saying, who will be greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus is going, hey, what were you all talking about as they were fighting who was going to be the greatest? And nobody wants to say, well, I don't know, like he didn't know. And then he brings a kid in and shows them that unless you become like this, you're not going to be brought into the kingdom. Then they're fighting over who's going to be there. This guy's out there casting out devils and they want to stop him. They want to stop a guy from casting out devils in the name of Jesus. Why? Because he's not part of their group. This is the battles that they were fighting. They were also fighting over what? They wanted their own comfort. What about the bread? How are we going to eat? How are we going to take it? They were worried about the bread and Jesus is like, I'm not talking about the bread. Remember these? Why? They're fighting the wrong battles. Over and over again, they're fighting the wrong battles. And there is a war that is happening around us, but we're fighting the wrong battles. So then we have to ask this question. Why does the church continually, perpetually, the disciples, the church, why are they continually fighting the wrong battles? I think there's a couple reasons for this. Not that it will fix the problem, but it will help us to think through, maybe even diagnose it. I think that the people of God have been called into a kingdom and that in this kingdom there's a king and he's called his people as one element to be family, to be children of God, and this is a beautiful part, but coming into this family we're also called to be an army and warriors. We're called to fight, to be on mission, to do his work. And all of us know that as we come into the kingdom of God, that we are called to fight. And maybe because we don't know how to fight the spiritual thing, we don't know how to, how to fight through humility, we don't know how to fight through brokenness, we don't know how to fight the things that really need to be fought, we start fighting other things. 
That way we think we're fighting. If I fight another Christian and they're wrong and I'm right, at least I'm better than them. At least I'm fighting. If I fight for power and who's going to be great in the kingdom, if I fight to elevate myself so everybody knows how great and powerful I am, at least I'm fighting. If I fight, if I do something, I got to do something. I got to say something. I got I to do it. I got to fight. I got to fight. And then no thought of going, is it just that we're called to fight? Or is that we're called to fight? differently by the spirit with different weapons so there is a a way to fight and 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 I, I love what John Piper says and there's way more on this but he talks about a wartime lifestyle he talks about a wartime lifestyle and the way the example that he gives is that when people are at war everything in their lives is used for that purpose everything so there is a streamlining of your life that everything that I have and everything that I am and everything that I do all of it is for this aim I've got to play my part and I got to do what I am called to do to uh, to aid in this wartime lifestyle it doesn't mean I don't have money it doesn't mean I don't have a body it doesn't mean I don't have things that are going on in my life here's what it means and, and this is uh, this wartime lifestyle here's how he describes it if we believe that we are at war, then everything we have, everything we do is living, spending, acting in such a way that we're wanting God's mission and message and heart. Let me try to explain it in this way. All of us have money or varying amounts, but we have it. And so it's not that we should not have money, but it is that we use our money in such a way that the rest of the world sees and the people around us see that God is our God and not money. So the problem, here, here let, me, let me just put it as straightforward. The problem in our lives is not the fact that we don't have enough money. It's how we use our money. Do we use it in such a way that it shows the rest of the world that God is God and not our money? Let's, let's give another example. We all have bodies, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, this kind of cutting off of the hands and the legs and the eyes. This, we all have bodies that God has given to us and that are very precious. But do we use our bodies in such a way that the world knows that God is the God of our bodies and not clothes or sex or gender or race. That none of these things are the definition, the identity, the God of who we are, but that our bodies and what has been given to us are used to show the world that God is our God. That in wartime lifestyle, everything we have, everything we spend, everything we do is ran through this filter of how do we show, how do we declare, how do we live out this idea that everything in our lives is to show that God is God. 
Can you picture now with all of this that we've talked about up to this point, the disciples fighting the wrong battles, and now Jesus gives them kind of a, and I'm going to word it this way so that you understand, gives them kind of a commander and chief general talk. Like no more, no more beating around the bush, no more kind of examples, but just straight out, you better start cutting things off or you're going to hell. I mean, that's pretty much how clear this is. He gets a very serious tone to this talk. Why? Because they're fighting for bread. They're fighting for comfort. They're fighting for power. They're fighting for position. They're fighting for exclusivity. They're fighting all these battles. And then Jesus pulls them in and gives them a straightforward talk. That the battles that you're fighting, if you keep fighting these wrong battles, you might find yourself outside of the kingdom of God and suffering and dying and burning. Straightforward. Jesus gives them a very stern warning. And there are times in our lives that it is great love for someone who loves us to pull us aside and not pamper us. Only two or three people could say amen to that, but it would be nice if I could hear some amens right there. It is the best thing for our good, for our walk with God. It is the best thing that somebody who really loves us would follow what Scripture says and says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, that somebody who loves us would pull us aside and say, the way you're going is leaning towards death. It's leading there. Oh yeah, you want to be comfortable. You might get comfort, but you also might burn. You might get it. The worst thing that could happen is you actually get what you want. Oh, yeah, you might be fighting for a position of power that everybody looks and sees you're great, but you might be cut off. Because of the great love, and you cannot say that Jesus did not love his disciples. He was the one who opened their eyes. He was the one who gave them sight. He was the one who continued to walk with them through this. And at this point, he's sternly speaking to them and warning them in such a way to show them that you're worried about greatness, you're worried about comfort, you're worried about exclusivity, the kind of idea that only certain people can be in the club. You're worried about bread. And it is those things that are hindering you and keeping you out of the real battle, the real fight, and ultimately leading towards death. These are hard statements. Why? Why would he say it in such a hard way? Because this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. There's statements all throughout Scripture that says, what about if you gain the whole world and you forfeit the so your soul? Church, Everything in me pastorally 
wants to comfort and love and care for you as the flock. But there are times in our lives where as a pastor, I have to take off this kind of shield of, 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 of kind of packaging everything to where we can swallow it and just kind of take back the shield and go, where's your light? What are you really pursuing? Can we just admit that many people say that they're following Christ, but it looks like they're following themselves? They might be following themselves. Could it be that we're actually doing all that we want to do? We're sacrificing nothing and we're putting a label of Christianity on it? But at the core, we're just doing what we want. We haven't really submitted or surrendered or followed. And if we're honest, what we need is the spirit to pull back the veil, expose our hearts, and call us again to a deeper work. What do we need to learn from this? I'm going to say four things that we're going to pray. First, following Christ or discipleship is difficult and it demands sacrifice. Second, there is a real war. Why is there a real war? Well, Mark shows us that all throughout Mark, God, through Jesus, the Messiah, is breaking into the world. The kingdom of God is coming into the world, and his kingdom is fighting against real evil, sin. Sin that is affecting us, sin that is affecting our church, sin that is affecting our community, sin that is affecting this world, sin that is destroying and, and completely just, just eroding God's creation. There's a real war, and what we need to be serious about is sin and the effects that it's having on our world, on this, and the things that we would much rather pursue. And what else we need to learn, number four, number three, is this. That this is not just about rejecting sin. This is not just me standing up here and saying, okay, you guys, stop doing this, stop doing that, cut this out, don't do this anymore. This is not just about rejecting sin, but this is much deeper. This, what Jesus is speaking to his disciples, is not just don't reject sin. Look at what he's telling them. He's telling them to go back deeper than just rejecting sin and cutting Things out at the root. These are things that are God-given. Your hands, your eyes, your feet. These are not things that are sinful and broken. We, he's showing us that there are things that are God-given and precious. Things that God has given to us to use. And notice what he's telling us that you should let nothing, you should let nothing, not just don't do these things, but nothing, nothing no, no, no other pursuits. No other worship, nothing that we should be willing to go deeper to the root and cut off 
the source. This is an interesting call because the reality is another fight that we as Christians are so quick to fight is going, well, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to stop. Tell me what to do. And I listened for many years as a pastor. I loved those questions because I had all the answers. I remember sitting with people who were just constantly struggling with the same addictions over and over and over again and and coming to the place where I had nothing else to say and I thought it was so profound to look them straight in the face and say, just stop! Like revelation from heaven just came down. Like that was going to really open their eyes and they were going to go, I've never thought of that before. Just stop? What is this stopping that you speak of? Like if they had the power to stop themselves, they would. There's something deeper that he's speaking of. Not just stop. He's saying, let's get to the heart. Let's get to the root. I don't know if you listened to what Anthony read right before the sermon. And I, I, we didn't even prepare these things. Um, but I know the spirit was, it's so much easier for us to fight these external battles than it is to cut off the pride and cynicism and comfort and the things that are eating away at our very soul. It's so much easier to regulate, restrict, and reject than it is to go to the very deep roots of our soul and lay them bare before God and ask him to do a deep work in our heart that shows us the continual need that we have. I hope what you don't hear in all of this is that Jesus is telling his disciples, you can fix yourself. But his last statement makes it very clear that all of this fighting against things that are not the actual fight are keeping you from being salty in this world. They're keeping you from actually being useful on his mission. That we get so distracted that none of us, hear me on this, we get so distracted that actually living on the mission of God is a foreign concept to people. What does it mean to serve others? What does it mean? I got my own issues. I got things that I got to take care of. I got mine and my own. I got my family. I got all these things. But I'm going to tell you this. When you see someone who served and sacrificed and give their life to serve others, and then all of a sudden they go, you know what I need to do? I just need to take some me time. You never see a downward spiral of depravity take place when people go, the answer to this problem is me focusing on myself. We need to continually see that not only has Christ done this work, because listen to this. Where do we find such example? Where do we find such power to do what Jesus is asking us to do here? Well, the whole time, Jesus has been telling his disciples, I've come to be marred so that you could have life. I've come to be beaten so that you could have life. I've come to be stripped so that you could have life. I've come to die the death you should have died. I've come to suffer and die, and they can't wrap their arms around They can't put their arms around But here's what he's showing them even in these statements. And in order for you to have life, I have to be marred. 
I have to die. I have to suffer. I have to go to the cross. I have to do this work, this denial, this sacrifice, this deep love that flows from our Savior that he's been telling them about, showing them that the greatest place that we're going to find real life is when we find this kind of living. It's amazing what, what Miguel said. When I talked to him before he took all this, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if all these kinds of things, I don't know. I, I, don't have, I don't know if I have enough money. I don't know if I have enough time. I don't know. And then now he's standing up here and going, sacrifices. It's not really a sacrifice. Isn't it amazing that once you really start living a life of sacrifice and once you really start giving yourself away, denying self and serving others, you actually find Christ-likeness rather than trying to search yourself. That in this act of dying to self, you find life. And in this act of denial to self, you find who you are. And in this act of service, you find this joy of living like Christ for the benefit of others. And as we read this text and we start going, what is he saying? Cut his arms out, gouges, gouges, eyes out, cut his legs off. What is he saying? Who would mar themselves so that life could happen? Jesus. Who would die so that life could take place? Jesus. And when you approach a text like this, not only is Jesus calling us into this kind of life, but he's showing us the only way we can have life is through this kind of work. And many of us know without even hearing this that all theologians and all people who study this text know that Jesus is not talking about aestheticism where you cut your legs off and your arms off and gouge your eyes out, but he's talking about what? A deep work that can only be done not through pursuing comfort, not through fighting for power, but by seeing where life really is. What I'm going to ask you to do is close your eyes, and the reason I'm asking for this is because I want you to to not be looking at the things around us, but to just ask God to open our eyes to this reality. And Jesus is showing us that only through his body and through his blood, and as we come to this table, what we're really doing is we're, we're celebrating the brokenness of his body. And that as we hear a text like this, all of us are left in a place of going, I can't do this kind of work. I can't do this kind of work. Who can do this for me? One of my sons has, my wife tells, told me a story on our date night about him getting a piece of glass stuck in his foot. And he wanted so badly to get it out and he was crying and he was crying and he's crying. It was just such a painful thing. But he didn't want Dana to pull it out. He couldn't see it and he knew it was there and it was, and he, but he wanted to pull it out himself. So he's trying to pull it out and he couldn't reach it and he couldn't reach it and he couldn't reach it. And Dana kept trying to talk and this is going on and on and on. And she said, listen, you just need to trust me. Do you trust me? And he goes, no, I just want to do it myself. It's not about trust. And she goes, no, you just need to let me do it. Do you trust me? And finally admitted, no, I don't trust you. I want to do it myself. 
So he cried and cried and cried, and finally he surrendered. And in seconds, the glass was out of his face. He said, is it gone? I didn't even know you took it out. Why? How did, how did it go so fast? And Dana said, well, because I could see it. Because I'm the only one who could get it out. Dana said she learned so much about God in that moment when she realized how much she fights him doing surgery and taking away things from us that we want out so desperately, but we don't want him to take it away. We think we can see, but we can't do it on ourselves. And this text demands this. Who can cut away this sin? Who can take away this brokenness? Who can do this? Only Jesus. But we have some clear pictures that we have to look at here. As we come to this table, church, with our eyes closed, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do you see the war that's around us, that's in us? And are you taking any action to live sacrificially on the mission of Jesus or are you pursuing things that are ultimately leading to death? And as the band plays, as we come to the table, I'm asking that this time be a time of repentance, the Spirit digging into our hearts, revealing to us the areas of our lives that we are living for self and as we come to the table that we'll rejoice in the work that he's done but we'll also commit to live our lives for his king in his kingdom the way he's called us to some of us have some major things to repent of maybe as we look at our lives, we're realizing even the depths of the fact that we in no way are living sacrificially. Our whole aim in life is to be comfortable. And any sacrifice we made is ultimately for ourselves. And if God's showing you this today, this is time to repent. Maybe some of you are saying, man, there are areas. I'm seeing God do work in my life, and, and I am sacrificing in real ways, and I am living this life and finding a life in this, in this life that is denying myself. I'm finding joy in living for Christ, serving, loving others. But there's areas that I still the war is there. Maybe this is a moment for God to do some detail work. There's areas of adjustment. And some, this is a message of encouragement. You're getting tired. You're doing sacrificial things. You're living your life for others. You're, you're doing it because you love Him and you see how much He's done. You're forgiving. You're, you're walking in these ways, but you're getting tired. And maybe today you need to hear, there's no better life. There's no better life than one lived for His kingdom, for His glory. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. What we're going to do is we're going to come to the table.
We're going to repent. We're going to partake. We're going to proclaim our covenant with Him. If you are not a follower of Christ, I wouldn't ask for you to come and take because I wouldn't want you to do anything that is not true of who you are. But if you are, by grace and humility, come to the table asking for His help, for His work, for His nourishment. And then we're going to sing and I'll come up and pray. But let's do these things in response to His Spirit, His Word, and His work in our hearts. Let's come, church.